Drunk Botany, Episode 11. Hoist a glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Creation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Drunk Botany. This is your host, Phil Creation. Joining me today is Sean the Kraken Slayer, Creation, also my brother, who will, providing no calamity strikes, be joining us later in the episode, in which we will be drinking and creating the Viking drink, Mead from honey obtained from the beekeeper's daughter in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Today we are at the Lindenwald Moose, which is hosting an event with the Armored Combat League featuring the Philadelphia Rhinos and the DC Juggernauts. A little bit of background information. Um, this is not LARPing. This is literally a bunch of dudes dressed in full-on, legitimately metal armor and hitting each other with real, legitimate swords. They've put together cattle fencing and cow pens uh, over a stretch of lawn that is traditionally used for horseshoes, but instead will be featuring a bunch of large and burly men testing their metal quite literally against one another. Just now, the fight is about to start, and Sean will be coming out resplendent in his armor with swords ablazing, and he is featuring a new shield that he doesn't normally use. And I'm anxious to see how he fares. It seems to be three men versus three men. And uh, let's get a little sample of what's happening. Rhinos ready? I can't see which guy is which in all the helmets. Is that him on the ground? No. Sean is against the bar. Over there in the corner? And that other fellow is Paul, who I met previously. Well, providing everybody survives this match, we will be making mead later this evening. Alcohol is a poison, and if you don't partake responsibly, it will kill you. If you've been picking your poison today, don't get behind the wheel. If you absolutely need to get somewhere, why not utilize the services of the Lyft app? If you're new to the program, have your first ride on me. Just use my referral code, DBOTANY, and arrive alive. Okay. Well, at this point, it looks as though everybody survived relatively unscathed, despite the fact that uh, Sean had to call it a night a little bit early due to mild injury. Everybody kept all of their limbs and remained whole, on the other hand. And we have since changed location to another place in South Jersey. Where do you call this place? I like to call this Krakenfell. Yeah, Krakenfell. That sounds... 
That, that sounds pretty Game of Thronesy to me. It was originally a reference, and it just kind of stuck and fit, so it, it sticks. Uh, if you were me, though, you just called this place home. This is uh, the place where me and my two brothers all grew up. And uh, together, we're going to get together in my old fire pit area to brew a Viking drink that goes back to the dawn of civilization called mead. Uh, I did a podcast earlier this month with a beekeeper uh, that's local to where I live now, and she furnished us with some exotic honey. This is uh, a saw palmetto honey. It, mm. it, it comes actually from plants that they locate in Florida, and that's going to form the backbone of the mead. She usually uses like an orange blossom honey because... Orange blossom honey is probably the most common that I'm aware of. Well, uh, for mead making. She I'll... says that it works real well for mead. Her husband hmm. makes mead. I have noticed that uh, aside from honey that you would just buy at Walmart or Costco, anywhere that sells local honey, usually the most common honey they sell is orange blossom. You know, I will link back to the episode, but we discussed it, and there's actually a lot of counterfeit honey out on the market. Like a I lot have of. I've heard of that before. Anyway, so you have already made mead. Yes, I've uh, made several batches of mead over uh, my years here. I started out, and some of them were really bad, some of them have been really good. Uh, and that's really just kind of what happens when you're learning a new craft. Oh, I totally get that. You know, when I was still in high school, I was in Mr. Wilson's English class, and I had gotten together, and we had read Beowulf for the first time, and he had described mead to us as, you know, youngins, as like a type of beer, and that mead halls, where these Danes would gather to, you know, celebrate and to consume this mead, that these were basically like beer halls. But that's not really what mead is. I would, I would think that mead is a little closer in relationship, say, to a wine, wouldn't you? Uh, I would definitely agree with that, as far as, in specifically that the U.S. government considers mead a honey wine. Oh. The situation that if you label it, if you sell it commercially, it has to be labeled as a honey wine. Now, you do not sell these things that you brew I do commercially, because that, that would be I a crime. I have looked into doing this. Yeah. Uh, and a meadery is actually... I believe they just recently changed the laws on it. But as of two or three years ago when I was looking into it, it was in a very weird situation as far as the ATF was concerned because a brewery has to have things made with grains. Right. Making everything technically a malt beverage. Yes. And I think that they were regulating things as ciders for a while there or as wines. And then everything in a winery has to be made with X percent of grapes. So, mead is neither made with wine, with grapes being a winery, nor grains being a brewery. So at the time, no one could get back to me with a straight answer as to what it was. I have since seen, I believe, three or four meaderies open up throughout the country. Well, I think a whole bunch of legislation has changed. I think uh, that... Uh, I think Moonlight that... Meadery in, I believe, Connecticut, but I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, please correct it in your notes. Uh, actually spoke with and pushed for that legislation change. 
I believe that. Moonlight Meadery, I believe, was a game changer. I think that they, they were, were... They were the first real breakthrough meadery in the country. Here, bring that horn over here. Hey, uh, we are legitimately drinking this mead out of Viking horns. I'm pretty sure that these things came from a cow somewhere. And uh, we believe, finished them. I believe that one is from a bison. A bison. Oh, <laughs> so, so sorry. Uh, you put a finishing stuff on this that would make it safe for me to wash. I remember. Yes, I did. Uh, these are polyurethane coated so they can be dishwasher safe. Yeah, I never washed mine in the dishwasher. I just, you know. I don't either, but they can be, or you could use coffee in them. Uh, traditionally, horns would be finished with honey, not honey, with uh, beeswax which hot things would melt. You could not drink your coffee out of a traditionally finished horn. Mm. Which is one of the big reasons that I chose to do this with uh, polyurethane. Oh, the fighting men are coming to join us, like, it sounds like. I very much like to drink coffee, and I've had coffee out of a horn before. Oh, right. Okay. So, well, let's try this. Cheers. Cheers. All right. That is different. That is um, cranberry. Cranberry in there? Cranberry. Did you actually use cranberries when you made this? Uh, it might have been a cranberry puree. Uh, I bought it. It was a canned thing that I bought from our local uh, homebrew store. The Keg and Barrel is in South Jersey. You don't worry about using canned things based on preservatives? They are specifically for brewing. They, they get ones that do not have the preservatives in them. I believe. Oh, I would have to take a look into it. My brewing methods are very, very lax. In fact, I believe most people that saw me brew and were brewers themselves might have a heart attack. For example, <laughs> we are currently heating this this fire, heating this water for our wort. I'm calling it wort. It's not wort. quite. Is that how you pronounce that? I'm pretty sure it's pronounced wort. Oh, either way, not quite because we don't have any grains going into it. It's just going to be a, basically a tea that we add honey to. Uh, but we are heating this over a campfire. Uh, which I find gives an actual smoky flavor to the mead if it's done well. I like smoky flavors and things. The last, and you think this will carry over into the finished product? The last time I did, I had a fully finished mead was a chocolate mead that definitely had pine smoke in it. Oh, uh, this is a lot of this is pine, right? This is we're still basically working through that tree that. Me, you, and no, Dad? No, this is, this is uh, wood that I got from a friend's house. This is mostly okay. oak. So I guess all that stuff's gone since you started gathering with uh, all of your... That is likely. I, uh, I do tend to have lots of fires here with various groups of fighters or Vikings. You know, this particular spot just came about as a way to not have to haul wood into the tree area around us. I Oh, yeah, let's add some more wood to that fire. We need to stoke the flames so that it... We'll look at those sparks go up so that it uh, brings this water to a boil. We're boiling this water, aren't we? Uh, we will be at least heating it. I don't necessarily boil it, um, which is another interesting thing about how lax I am with my uh, brewing. We are using hose water for this. But there's more to it than just it being water that came from a hose. Where we live down here, that we use well water, don't we? We use, uh, our well has a lot of iron in it and a decent amount of sulfur to it. So we have a very, very specific taste in, tasting water here that no one could ever really replicate, I would say, uh, be that for better or worse. And I have found on 
my higher acidity meads, that water works very well for this. So when you attain higher acidity, is that acid coming from like an adjunct or something that you add to the mead or is it something that's born of the honey that you use? Uh, usually my higher acidity meads would be uh, the other flavors I put in other than the honey. Okay. Like I feel the hibiscus is floral but has a decent amount of acidity to it. Uh, specifically with this mead it will be hibiscus and orange. So we're I've, using orange and hibiscus to make this meat. And in a couple of days, I will probably be lightly hopping it. Oh, you're going to put hops in it? Yes, I am. That's not going to be gross? No, it's not. You promise? I promise. Uh, have you ever had Viking's blood mead? I feel as though I had. Uh, the, wait, the mead that we're drinking right now, is there hops in this? There is not. There is not. Uh, I'm going to, I don't know exactly which hops I'm going to put in there. I'm going to look into it a lot. I'm going to look for something very light and floral to add to it that will help so, bring so out the Something more German than, say, like East Coast or West Coast? I will take your word on that. You know a lot more about hops than I do. Oh, don't be fooled. <laughs> my, uh, my experience with hops is mostly looking at the packages, seeing alpha and beta percentages, and then reading the description and going, that description sounds good. Oh, see, then you're a slave to marketing. you got to smell it. Hops are basically a flower, much like the hibiscus that you're going to use. You're going to use hibiscus, right? We are this? using hibiscus for this. Did you grow this hibiscus that we're using, or did you buy it somewhere? Uh, I actually bought this at the farmer's market down the road from here. I think I bought... Berlin Farmer's Market? Yes, the Berlin Farmer's Market. I think I bought two and a half pounds of it or something crazy like that. Uh, I used half of it the last time I made what we're doing here, which is a recipe I call Kraken's Blood. Ah, where'd I you get also, that name, huh? Did I get Kraken's Blood? I am also... Yeah, do you have a cup? No. Very loosely saying recipe, it. It. as my recipe for it is, there's hibiscus, orange, and maybe hops to it. What's your name? Do you want to introduce Ooh. yourself to everybody? Hi, Orlando. Orlando? Oh, hi. Oh, you really are recording. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> I was, it was not a joke. Yeah, Orlando, did you, you fought today, or yeah. were you just on the sidelines? I remember seeing no, you no, in your I shirt. Fought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm all black and, and the armor that looks like I should die in it. <laughs> well, most but, of our armor looks like we yeah, should die yeah. in it when someone's swinging an No, no, but, uh, yeah, no, I was out there. I was mainly at the, my position out there was a flanker. So that's Orlando was on my team, the Philadelphia Rhinos. Yes. Okay. Right. And was... you fought today the DC Fisters? The DC Juggernauts. <laughs> Juggernauts, sorry. They have, they have a fist as their tavern. They have a fist. DC Fisters, though. <laughs> that's good. That's okay. Like, to me, like, you guys have that uh, yellow and black logo. So I've been calling you guys the Philadelphia and Caps, you know, because you have the anarcho-capitalist flag. <laughs> well, this, uh, the rhinos have been around since, when did we start doing this in America? 2012, I think? Yeah, you were around when I started. Around. What an auspicious year. <laughs> I think, uh, 2012 is when armored combat started happening here. Uh, and the rhinos, I believe, were one of the first two teams. Yeah. I believe it was the rhinos and the first swords, oddly enough. <laughs> That's oddly enough because the first swords is now our regional team which the rhinos would be part of. So you're like a farm team? 
Not exactly, but yes. Like, you would graduate from the Reiners to the next team up, right? Well, it's not uh, like a team up. That's, uh, the first order fluctuates. Um, it's just really, the realistically, the first order, if you want to think about it, is like the varsity squad, I would kind of assume. It's, it's, up, up, to, it's up to a lot of, you know, the, Andre, Andre. The first swords will fight three or four times a year. And the regional commander of that, Andrew Dion, will choose who he wants on that team. Andrew is here today. Andrew Andrew is here today. I, you folks at home probably have never seen anything like this before. uh, So I am absolutely trying to bring this to people's awareness as we consume copious amounts of homemade mead from my brother while we cook up yet more. So... Uh, Setting up for a fire performance. (laughs) What, do you eat fire? Yeah, I eat and spin fire, yeah. I can eat fire. Oh, fellow fire eater. I tried to blow fire once. (laughs) I tried to blow fire once. (laughs) (laughs) We'll Uh, see how that works out later. No, no, but that's awesome. I melted the side of my face Yeah, 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 no, you have to be careful. That can be the the most... I am going to manhandle this fire a little bit so that it, uh... I support that. Hour. So are we are we getting close to a boil on that water? No, that is cold enough for me to stick my hand in. Oh. Uh, that's why I'm manhandling the fire a little okay, bit. Okay, then do we want to get some coals a little closer to it? That's my plan. I like that plan. Okay, so talk to me a little bit more about what we've got going into this. I, I was supposed to put three gallons of water in there, but what I wound up with was somewhat closer to four. And uh, what I've brought here is about 12 and a half pounds of local honey uh, again saw palmetto from the beekeeper's daughter in wilkesbury pennsylvania uh, well, that's in wilkesbury not back mountain no that's wilkesbury okay i thought when we had passed that we were still in back mountain that's lighter uh actually i don't think i've taken you to this place they have a new brick and mortar location in plains pennsylvania which you absolutely do have to check out they have just started, in addition to making honey and different beeswax products, they've started putting together honey sodas. And uh, I made a couple of cocktails with that recently, but I'm really looking forward to playing with it again in the future uh, because I want to mess around a little bit with vodka and lavender in a maybe a martini that I flavor with that. So we'll test around with that in the future, I think. Um, so we're going to put some 12 and a half pounds of honey into this water once it comes close to a boil. I assume that it doesn't... Okay, first of all, I assume that people traditionally when making beers or meads did so to uh, boil the water so that it would purify any type of... Uh, that is uh, a big thing that they used to do before water purification uh, was known to be a thing. Yeah, but now we're here using well water again, so we're basically back in the dark ages. Yeah, uh, they just they knew that beer did not get them sick while water did. They did not know why, now we do know why. They did not make the beer to purify the water, they just so happened <laughs> to realize that beer did not get them sick. All right, I gotcha. And then we're going to add about how much hibiscus to this? We are going to add approximately a pound and a half of hibiscus to this. 
I say approximately because I believe what I bought was a two and a half pound bag, and we are using approximately half of that. Okay. And do you want to add that at the same time as the honey later on in the boil? What I'm going to be doing with that is as soon as the water gets warm to the touch, I'm going to add the hibiscus. At this point, the heat is just there to help dissolve that honey. Uh, not yet. We haven't done the honey yet. Uh, right now, the heat is going to be in to help uh, diffuse the hibiscus in to make a large tea, essentially. Uh, after that has been doing that for, I would say, about a half hour, I am going to take the pot off of the heat and add the honey. Ideally, this won't ever actually boil. I am not a fan of the way my meads turn out when the water has been boiled with the ingredients in it. Well, I feel like you lose all of the floral components that make a good honey a good honey once you heat your honey to uh, beyond a certain threshold. There is, as far as meat is concerned, a very large discussion as to whether or not you should heat your water to put your honey in, boil your water to put your honey in, or keep it completely cold the entire way through. I don't know that I would trust it totally cold. I have tried that. Um, I tried it once with our well water. I didn't like the way it came out. It had a, uh, a skunked smell and taste to it. But I feel like the water here oftentimes tastes like matches anyway. That's what I figured. So I went, you know what? I will try it again. I have heard that the best meads are made cold brew style. So I use completely distilled water. And I got the same flavor from it. So I have just decided that that is not the style for me. So that is not what we will be doing today. Correct. I have also found that when uh, I completely boil my water with honey in it, it does lose a lot of flavor. Absolutely. So, uh, while I grab a little bit more wood to go onto this fire, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about the two different types of fights that took place at the Rhino event today? Well, today, uh, earlier when you were at the Moose with us, you saw the Rhinos fight the Juggernauts in what's called a chapter match. In the Armored Combat League, a chapter match is first to 11 points. Uh, there are two styles of combat that happen in a chapter match. There are melees where you have two three-man teams fighting each other. The way you take someone out in a melee is that they make three points of contact with the ground. Your feet always count as two. So if you put your hand down to catch your balance, you're considered a dead body. If you drop to a knee, you're considered a dead body. If you fall flat on your back, you turn into a dead body. Are those rules intended to be symbolic? Uh, the rules are actually from uh, 15th century tournament rules in uh, England. Almost everything that we do is a direct analog of that, aside from our safety rules are a little bit more strict than they would have had in the 15th century. This is uh, actually how um, disputes were settled long ago, wasn't it? Uh, it may have been, but that's not the style that we are talking about. We are talking about more so the royal tournaments that were used for placating the masses. This is very much like a precursor to duels, then. Duels? 
happened in the same tournaments that we use. The I forget, I forget exactly which tournament we have taken the rules from, but it is a 15th century English tournament. Uh, I will try to get you a link to that documentation. I would love that. Uh, where they had both melees, which I just just dis uh, discussed, and duels. Duels are timed rounds with just counted blows, where the person who hits more... L landed blows. Landed good blows. You can hit someone, and if it's a weak hit, the judge isn't going to count it. What it, determines whether or not it, uh, a hit is a weak hit or not? Honestly, it's probably just the sound. Because it's what the judge thinks is and is not a good hit. So, if you happen to hit someone and it doesn't quite make the sound, there's a good chance the judge isn't going to count that hit because it didn't sound right to them. Uh, are there types of hits that don't uh, count? Like, can you just go all stabby on people? Uh, in the Armored Combat League and in the tournament... Uh, from the 15th century, you were not allowed to stab. You were not allowed to thrust because these were tournaments meant not to kill each other but to keep, at the time, the knights from going crazy and being super aggressive and ruining all of the villages around by being knights. This gave them a chance to let out their aggression. Oh, but sense. the kings still didn't want their best fighters to die so they came up with these rules so they could let out their aggression beat each other in competition, but still be able to fight in battle if necessary. That's interesting. So we're still basically waiting for this water to boil. You Let's know what they say, watch the pot. How hot is that? I can still touch it. However, I just recently added about five logs to that fire, so it's uh, kind of inferno-y looking over there. It is quite a bit warmer than it was. Uh, would you say that it's warm enough that we could begin to add things to it? Um, like, you're going to want to add hibiscus first and then honey? Uh, yes, the honey will be quite a bit later. I think it is probably safe to add the hibiscus, and I'm going to add the orange now, too. Now, are you just using the peel of the orange, or do you think that the acidity in the orange juice might be a good addition in there, plus any residual sweetness in the juice? Last time I made this, I used dried orange peel for it. I used dried blood orange peel. Ooh, blood orange is like the best. What I'm going to be using this time is one navel orange. Oh, you went navel? Because that's what I had at the time. Okay. But you would recommend, if you were going to try to duplicate this experiment at home, to use a blood orange if you happen to be able to get your hands on it. If you can get your hands on a good uh, blood orange, not one that is relatively dry, I would suggest doing that. Uh, I have done this very well with just the dried orange peel from it though. So I think you're, a good, you're on good terms if you use a blood orange at all. All right, sounds good. So yeah, I'm gonna drink a little bit more of this mead. Now, I like what you've been doing over here, which has been to jam the horn edge of the horn, like the pointy part, the business end, if you will, right into the ground so that your horn doesn't fall over. Uh, as soon as I saw you do that, the practicality of drinking from a horn in a wilderness atmosphere suddenly made a whole lot more sense to me. 
that is because my horn is longer and pointier than yours. Yours is a wider horn. Uh, you would be not able to do that. Are you trying to tell me that I'm supposed to have horn envy? I'm just saying that maybe if you had a longer horn, things would be better. So I have just added approximately a pound and a half, maybe a little bit less of hibiscus to our water. Uh, in a couple of moments, I will be adding a navel orange that I have cut in half because that's the orange that I have available. Absolutely. I cut it in half so that it has a chance for the heat to draw out the juices from inside, but still have access to all of the uh, skin and the peel. This is cozy out here. Now, I like what you did with this fire pit. I originally had it arranged... Uh differently so that there was a back reflector wall but I like this better because you've got like a bunch of different guys out here this fire accommodates a lot more people than it ever used to um, this fire pit has gone through I want to say six different changes oh yeah uh, there's actually a brick base underneath of it really yep what kind of brick did you use the, the same, same brick? bricks uh, the ones that were broken that I couldn't reuse which is also a reason that it has uh, changed a lot these bricks do break quite easily. Yeah, well, these, I think, were actually a landscaping brick. Yeah, they I weren't... do not think they're fire bricks. Yeah, they were not designed as fire bricks. But you know what's funny is I think that the fire brick might even have been a cheaper brick. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, you know what it is? I think more of a masonry brick, like one that you would build with was cheaper. I don't know that the Home Depot or whatever it is that I was at carried fire bricks explicitly labeled as such. I Certainly do not, not in this color. I do not know enough about bricks to tell you what the difference between a fire brick and a masonry brick and a standard red brick are. You know, I'd love to pretend that I did, but uh, it's been a long time since I laid any type of bricks, and that was never a conversation I had with the guy who taught me. No, so. he just told you lay the brick this way. Yeah, he said, hand me that brick. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> And at what point will we be adding the honey to this? Uh, I would like this to steep for about a half hour. Half an hour? So chances are we'll be done with this show by the time we're actually adding the honey to this uh, thing. Adding the honey at, at this point is the last step tonight. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit more about what's going to happen once we add that honey. Is there going to be anything we have to do? Do we need like a large spoon to stir this with? Uh, we will be stirring it to make sure the honey doesn't just go straight to the bottom and not dissolve into the heated water. So do we want to add the honey at a slow rate or do we just like dump all those bad boys right in? I usually do it with a much, I usually do it with a one gallon jar of honey and I just dump it in as fast as it goes. Which is not fast because honey does not move fast, but as fast as it goes. Absolutely. So once the honey begins to cook, does, uh, does it separate out? Uh, I have heard of people with uh, foam coming to the top of their meads as they boil them, but again, I don't bring mine to a boil, so I haven't had that issue. You know, I think, I'm, I, think I started to mention this earlier, but my first experiment with mead was again a failed experiment. I had been studying Beowulf in uh, high school. I was in Mr. Wilson's class, and... Mr. Wilson also taught English by the time I got to high school. Oh, so we Ten years later. I did not have him. Oh, he but was he the did best. teach. Uh, he Actually, was in that movie. I did have him. You had him? Yes. For English? I had him senior year for English. Oh, my God. He was the best. 
I assume you had him junior year for English. I had him in junior year because I stopped taking traditional English after no, that. I was going to say started. because we went over Beowulf junior year, we yeah. went over Hamlet senior year. Yeah, he said Hamlet's the best by him. He Oh, he is the biggest fan of Hamlet. Well, anyway, so he made that movie, and uh, we have a copy of it inside. Bitters and Blue Ruin. Yes. And he's the detective? Yes. Oh, my God, it was great. I have not made it through that movie. Oh, watch it. It's so good. Uh, I've tried. There are a bunch of English jokes in it. It's great. Uh, anyway. Uh, also, Mr. Watkins, who's a teacher I had, is in that. Uh, Civ teacher. He was another English teacher. Okay, I never had him. Our other brother, Jeff, had him as an English teacher, and he was one of his favorite teachers. Oh, okay. Um... Well, we were learning about Beowulf, etc., etc. I got through that part of the story, but um, I went home and I was like, I need to know what this is. You know, I wanted to get into touch with the primal thing. So this was when I uh, was trying to figure out what everything was, and I talked to Dad, and we went to Beer Solutions close to No Name Road. We got this giant container of orange blossom honey. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. I'm reading a book in it. I feel like it was Charlie Papazian's The Complete Joy of Home Brewing. And there was this, like, the 1992 copy. It's, it's since been republished. But there was a recipe for an, antipodal mead, antipodal. And I tried to follow it and learn what the difference is in mead, which is probably a discussion we should have in a minute. Um, and we cooked everything up and I didn't have a full working understanding of how airlocks worked at the mm. period of time. Um, so there I am just this impatient kid cooking up this stuff, you know, like, and I produced a liquid that was so foul that it, it stripped the hair off of my chest to smell it. That uh, is impressive. Yeah, oh because my god. Because mead I, specifically is a very hearty, easy-to-brew alcohol. I think that we may have incorporated apple cider into oh, it as well. Ooh, that may have been your issue. Yeah, so there was like an extra element of concern with terms of purity. So I had taken it, and I, I remember carrying it out into the woods and like... I poured it into the earth and I was waiting for the the lands to fissure and for lightning to strike and for the plants to die. Hello, Hello. more people are joining us uh, at the fire pit. Um, everybody welcome, grab a seat. Uh, we're having a episode of Drunk Botany that we are recording today and our focus is on mead. Uh, Sean, the Kraken Slayer creation, is over here producing for us his famed Kraken's blood. Kraken's blood mead. Or the closest representation there too, as I do not keep recipes. Yeah, okay. Because we just make it up as we go along, right? And I feel like that's the proper way to do it with mead. Boil it over an open fire. Throw some things in that sound like they're going to be good. See how it goes. Well, you know, speaking of Beowulf, I'm pretty sure that nobody wrote that down until there was an English language to write it down in. And they had scops going back and forth just like memorizing stuff all the time. So... There's a lot to be said for oral tradition. So, when you have meads, there's what we're making, I guess, is not technically a mead, right? Uh, what would they call this? I think uh, this would be considered a melomel. You've got meads, melomels, methaglins, Ooh, you uh, and sizes, right? not going to name right? all of them, Phil. Well, those are the ones I know. Uh, there is a chart that uh, 
I have seen online. Uh, there are, I want to say, 26 variations thereof. There's uh, Mellow Mel's, Sizers, uh, Rotomel's, which is... Oh, Rotomel! Rosemead's or Rotomel's. Uh, uh, well, I, th I don't think that it's just Rotomel is just roses. I think Rotomel may apply to floral oh, yes, mead. you're correct. Uh, what we're making is a Rotomel. A Mellow Mel is a fruit meat. fruits uh, as opposed to a sizer which is which what is, I tried to make that you know which is a mellow mel with apple essentially it's apple cider with mead uh, but the whole chart goes through there are in the same way that a sizer is a type of rotomel uh, there are so many different ones there are capsimels which are Peppers. peppered meads I've been trying to do, I, I haven't been trying, I have been discussing making a peppered mead, and I have not actually done it yet. In the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and pour a bit more of this mead. We're going to drink it. Sounds good to me. Very quickly, before we call it a night, um, right. when is your next Rhinos Armored Combat League event? Uh, not specifically as the Rhinos, but the next Armored Combat League that um, event that is of worth would be New World Cup happening in South Jersey. The Dream Park in Swedesboro is one of two national events for the Armored Combat League. The Eastern National Event happens in South Jersey the last weekend, the 27th and 28th, of, of October. October. And this is 2017. Yes. Just in case anybody's listening in the future. In fact, if it's 2020, you've missed it. You know what? Just in case someone is listening in the future, the date for 2018 has already been picked as October 20th. Okay, that's handy. And we will include a link to that particular episode. Okay, well, I guess that's it. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Drunk Botany. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll join you next week.